Brett, are you ready for your trivia question today? Oh gosh, we're still doing this. Yeah, this is our this is our new opener. So, I hope you've been studying all random financial topics ever. That's right. So, since it's my favorite time of the year, which is tax season, I was going to ask you a question about taxes. Okay. So, they don't. This was the last data I could find, but what was the average tax return in 2015? Uh, so how much they filed for? How much? They so how much back? people got back? Um, um, okay, so like a thousand dollars. It was actually three thousand one hundred dollars. Oh, that's more than I thought. Obviously, I, I was really surprised. Um, I thought it would be quite a bit lower than that, and I think this is like kind of a good reminder to remind people. Yes, it is really nice once a year to get um, some money back from taxes, but this could be your money all year long. So what I mean by that is you can check your deductions. So if you've been claiming two deductions for federal, um, you could drop down to one and then you'll get a little bit more on every paycheck and a little bit back at the end of the year. Because essentially, if you're getting $3,000 back, it means you basically gave the government a loan for almost $300 a month, every single month. And then you know, come April, you finally get your money back, but you didn't get any interest on it. So if you get that, you know, in your wallet instead, you could be investing it. So instead of getting it in a lump sum a year later, you could be getting it every paycheck. Right. And it's kind of a double-edged sword too, because if you're on the other side of that coin and you don't pay as much or, you know, pay as much out of your paycheck toward the taxes, uh, then you have a big payment maybe at the end of the year, right? Correct. Yeah. So I, you know, try to tell people, um, keep trying to find that sweet spot. So every year when you do your taxes, if you're like, oh, I'm still getting some money back, take it down a deduction. Obviously, you know, if you get in the neighborhood of 500 to 1,000 bucks, one side or the other of you either get a refund or you owe, um, you probably don't want to crank it in either direction much more because, you know, that that'll might balloon it. Um, and I don't want people to be surprised on tax day. But, you know, yeah, if you're getting a refund of $3,000 and you have two deductions, if you take it to one, you're not going to owe money still. You know, it's not going to, you're not going to go from getting $3,000 to owing $3,000. That would be a very weird circumstance that that would happen. Um, but I do want to, you know, remind people if something is changing, like if you were getting, you know, deductions for childcare or something, and then that's going away, don't, that's not a good year to change your deductions, right? Because that's going to throw off the whole equation. Mm -hmm. um, but if things are staying pretty consistent, you know, for us, we're married finally jointly now, um, and we've been that for a couple of years, so we kind of know now, like, what our, a a you know, average annual taxes look like, and we can adjust from there. So it just, it helps with all sorts of planning. Um, and speaking of planning, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, you know, it's the start of a new year. What's What are some things that should be on your checklist going into the new year to plan ahead and have like your best financial year yet, right? Yep. So things you should review annually, um, kind of look at, you know, take a fresh start at the beginning of the year, get yourself set up for success um, by just taking a look at some of these things or, or setting some things up that are going to run all year long that are going to get you in the best position at the end of the year. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we, so I'm just going to kick right off. We shared very recently our spending for the year. Um, and I encourage everybody to do the same thing. So, you know, if you haven't used Mint, then sign up for Mint. 
Um, but so it'll make it a little bit harder for you this year, but you can download all of your bank statements and kind of go through your transactions as best you can and get a feel for where all of your money went. Um, I think, you know, kind of pairing that with taxes, you see how much you actually made throughout the year. And that surprises a lot of people. They're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that I, you know, where did all my money go if I made this much? Um, and being able to kind of see a breakout of here's where your money went. And, you know, I have this spreadsheet that I've used for budgets that breaks it into a pie chart so you can literally visually see like 25% of my money went to this one category is that worth it or not right mm-hmm. shopping right? oh come on <clears throat> I do not shop that much well I, I mean we can let the the listeners tell us right because we we put everything out yep. there so yep. but yeah you know it's, a, it's just a really good time of year to review your spending and you know, kind of on that same note, it's a good time of year to sit down as a couple or, you know, if you're an individual to sit down and make some goals to be like, did did I get closer to my goals or further from my goals this year financially? And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, I, you know, pay for these things because it, it brings me joy. Well, this is a good time of year to be like, did that, you know, coffee every day on your way to work actually bring you joy or not? And it doesn't have to be anything crazy, right? I mean, if you're starting out from, from making goals that you've never made before or have never followed any goals before, I mean, start with something like very high level and just like see if you can stick to it because you'll start every time you make a decision or every time you are interacting with some kind of money transaction, you're going to think about that goal regardless of what it is and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, do this thing. Um, so you don't have to like restrain yourself and like try and fight for it all year long. If, if you're brand new to it, set something high level, like, uh, I just want to save more money this year, right? Yeah. Um, than I did last year and like have a dollar amount that you're shooting toward and be like, okay, I don't know how close I am to that dollar amount right this second, but, um, do I need this thing and would it be better off to be hitting my goal rather than have this thing? Exactly. And, you know, I think on this podcast, we really always try to discourage impulse spending. Um, so one area I do that is any big purchase for the year, I kind of think about starting in January. So if I want new kitchen appliances or if I want to go on vacation, I think about that in January and I put that on my radar so that I can pay for these things with cash. And that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge goal for anybody to have and one I strongly recommend. Like if you want that new TV this year, great. You don't get it tomorrow, right? You you get it when you can afford it with cash. Maybe that is tomorrow. Maybe you've been saving for that. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's a good place to start is get a big item that you want, whether it's a vacation or a TV or a new computer, whatever it is, kind of put that on your list and then be like, okay, I need to save up this much money. And then it's really nice because you can set a goal for when you want that item. So maybe I want the new TV in time for your birthday in May, right, Brett? And so then I'm like, okay, I have five months and it's a $500 TV, so I need to save $100 a month. And that makes it so much more manageable than a month away from your birthday. I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy you a TV this year. And I'm like, oh God, I have to come up with $500 now, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, that it's really just a strategy for peace of mind of you can attain anything you want to, but you have to put a little bit of planning into it. And if you you do that, you're going to be successful way more often. Yeah, just planning ahead just slightly. I mean, in that example, that that also helps with a a double whammy maybe of, um, you know, you might be able to get out of debt with that same strategy if you have credit card debt. Um, You know, if you're only going to buy things with cash from then on and you're never going to add to more of that backlog of that debt, it's eventually going to go away if you continue to pay it off. Yeah, exactly. Yep, so 
So just it depends on your goals and what you want to do and what, you know what you think it is. But setting up some goals at the beginning of the year, and I hate making goals personally, but um, you know having something high level is just helpful to like you know guide you on the right path for for the entire year. Yeah, and you know one thing to speak on if it is credit card debt, you know we've we've talked about paying off debt in different episodes, but. Um, I think that's why it's so important to track your spending because if you have $3,000 in credit card debt that you're trying to pay off and your goal is to pay it off by the end of the year and you're like, but how am I going to come up with $300 a month? You know, when you sit down and review your annual spending and realize that you, you know, spent $400 going out to eat last month or whatever it might be, all of a sudden you can be like, okay, if I just cut, you know, not even all of that out, but if I just go out to eat less than I was, I can pay off my credit card debt. And, you know, for some people, that's not worth it. You want to be able to keep going out to eat. But for a lot of people and a lot of people I've talked to that want to get out of debt so badly, that's a very easy decision to make. And so once you know where your money is going, you just have the power to make these decisions. Yeah, because for some people, that's just one. I mean, even if you cut it back once a week, I mean, that's a significant amount, right? Like some for some people, that's 25% of the time they go out to eat. Yeah. And, you know, where I work, a lot of people still buy lunch in the cafeteria, which is on average about seven bucks a day. Well, you know, that's 35 bucks a week, which is about $140 a month. And that's something that like, you know, a lot of people, they just get in the habit of doing that. So they don't think about it. Well, if you all of a sudden, if you just switch to peanut butter and jelly for lunch again, or whatever it might be, um, you could easily save, you know, half or more of that. So that's 70 bucks a month just by making a pretty easy thing where you just weren't thinking about that before because it was just the normal routine, right? And so I think that's the whole thing with finances is it's, if you sit down and think about it, it's very easy to make these decisions. You just have to be aware of your situation. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So we talked about, you know, kind of setting some goals. Another thing that you could do is is, um, this is a good time of year to sit down and rebalance your 401k. So taking a total 180 here on t- subjects. Um, but we've talked about 401ks before and investments and how to pick funds. Um, and, you know, if you miss that episode, basically, you know, every 401k will have uh, so many funds that you can pick from. Depending on the company, you might have five funds, you might have a hundred funds, right? Um, but, you know, you can kind of review them. You can see what the expense ratio is, which I know that always sounds like, you know, a, a ratio or something, but it's actually just the Fees, fee that they right. charge you. Um, and so you, and then you can also see past fund performance and you can see what, you know, stocks make up that fund. Um, and I always recommend of having, you know, based on your preference, people always talk about stock to bond ratio. Um, we're very aggressive, so we do 90 to 95% stocks and 5 to 10% bonds. Um, you know, we're, we're young, we're still in our early 30s, late 20s, and we're really comfortable with that high risk. You know, some people are more comfortable with an 80-20 or 75-25% split. It's totally up to you. Um, and then even within that split, you know, there's large cap funds, mid cap, small cap. We did do a whole episode on this, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But, you know, you can read online or listen to our podcast and kind of understand what some of those different funds are. But the whole po- so the whole point of this rebalancing that I'm finally circling back to is you have these funds and you picked these funds initially. But over the course of the year, you might have been like, "Okay, I want to be 95% stocks and 5% bonds." 
And then over the course of the year, you find that you've shifted to, especially this year, we had such a crazy market, you might be at 99% stocks and 1% bonds because that fund grew so much faster that, you know, the the growth of your bond fund didn't keep up. So what rebalancing means is you're going to carve out some of that from the stocks and get back to that 95-5% split that you're looking for. Um, and where this is you know, extremely important is as you get older, you might want to be 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Well, if you haven't rebalanced it in a few years, you might be more closer to 70-30, right? And that's pretty far off from your goals. So I always recommend once a year kind of look at the funds that you selected initially and see where you're at now and then just go ahead and rebalance and get closer to where you want it to be. Okay, so that's new to me. I thought it was rebalancing to just like check to see what better funds were out there that were added to the portfolio or what got updated or swapped out and say, you know, pick the best things. But it's really the the markets themselves are readjusting that. So it's not like me going in and setting the setting for I want these percentages and it's going to give me these things and it's going to stay that way. I just get to pick the things that are out there and, you know, set it at that time. And it's going, it's definitely going to change over time. Uh, So I just need to go look at it and make sure, um, you know, how I set that up in the first place is still what is out there today. Yeah. Maybe I don't need to change anything, but maybe I need to adjust things like very slightly just to get back to where I set it up originally. Exactly. Um, You know, because yeah, when you buy a fund, you know, let's, we can take myself for an example. I started working when I was 22 and now I'm 27. So I've been contributing to this for five and a half years. So what I put in five and a half years ago, I mean, if you look at stocks, they've about doubled in price in that five, five year time or close to doubled. Um, so if I was looking for a 95 to 5% split or 90, 10, I'm not going to be there anymore. So I, yeah, rebalancing is just going in and making sure you still have that bond cushion or, you know, even within stocks, I told, you know, I, I mentioned that there's large cap funds, small cap, medium cap. It's not like you go into a 401k and you just pick two funds and one stocks and one's bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's multiple different funds. You know, I personally have a collection of about five to six funds that I put my money into in my 401k. So I kind of knew, you know, I want 40% in large cap and 20% in mid cap. And please keep in mind, this is just illustrative example. This is not, I'm not telling you what you should be doing with your 401k. Um, But, you know, even between large and mid cap, they might, it might have gone from the 40, 20 I wanted to 45, 15. Um, And so it's just rebalancing all of the funds to try to get back to what your original goals were. And, you know, it's a great time to be like, have my goals changed? Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I started working five years ago when I was 22. Maybe I'm not as comfortable being as aggressive as I was then. So maybe I want more in bonds, right? So this is just a really good time of year to sit down and again, review your goals and see, you know, where you're at and make sure that your retirement is on track. So, cool. All right. Um, so, kind of staying on that same note, this is also a good time to remind people that uh, what the contribution limits are for 401ks. Um, so, you can contribute 18000 a year per person to your 401k. Now, for a lot of people, you're like, holy crap, that's so much money. Um, but I want to remind people that, you know, if you're making let's say you're making $100,000 a year, which I know many of our listeners are not quite at that salary. Um, just for an you know example, if you're making that much money, we've talked about this before, but you know, I always get the question, should I be investing in traditional or Roth? Well, really, it comes down to what your tax rate is right now. And if you're making $100,000 a year, your tax rate is quite high. 
when you go to retire, you can maybe you can live on fifty thousand a year, which means you're only going to be withdrawing fifty thousand a year. So you're only going to be earning fifty thousand a year. So your tax rate is going to be lower. So if you get a traditional 401k right now, you're just going to end up paying less taxes. And since that's taken out pre-taxes, you you don't really notice it, right? If you crank it up another couple percentages to try to get close to maxing out your 401k, you're not going to know. It's not like it's dollar for dollar. It's not like if you crank it up 2%, it's not going to be 2% of your paycheck because it's your pre-tax amount, mm-hmm. right? So it's a really powerful savings tool um, that I recommend everyone put as much as you feel comfortable putting into your 401k as you can. So again, the if it's, it's I want to go traditional if I'm making more money now than I would be making when I'm 60 years old. Correct. Right? Or w- more money than I'm going to be spending when I'm 60 years old. I yeah, that's a, that's a good or way 65. to think about it. Um, or, you know, it depends on your earning level. So let's say you are entry level right out of college and you're making thirty-five dollars to $40,000 somewhere, Roth might be your friend because odds are, even if you don't think you're going to be spending more later on, with with kind of lifestyle creep and, you know, all those sorts of things you are, and inflation alone, you're very likely going to be, you know, taking home more money in your retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's different for everybody. There's not great rules of thumbs out there. And there's a lot of arguments. You know, some people think the tax rate is going to go up in the future. So everybody should do Roth. I tend to think, look at your personal situation and, you know, kind of think about it a little bit for you. And yeah, good rule of thumb is, will I be likely earning more or less money in my retirement than I am right now? But the higher you get in that income bracket, the more likely it is that you should be looking at traditional. Correct. Yep. All right. So then another tool to save for retirement. So I recommend, you know, the the investment order kind of reads like this. You should be investing in your 401k up to your employer match. And then a lot of 401ks out there don't have great fund selection. So what I mean by that is they have really, they pick their own funds and then their expense ratios or their fees charged are rather high. They're, you know, a lot of companies, they're sitting at a percent or two percent for a lot of their funds. Well, you know me, I love Vanguard, and my company fortunately offers Vanguard in my 401k, which means my expense ratios are a tenth or a twentieth of a percent, right? So it's a huge difference. But if you if you are looking at your expense ratio and you're like, oh my gosh, they're all really high, still put your employer match up, right? So if they give you six percent, put six percent in your 401k. But then another really great tool is you can save money in an IRA. And I know we've talked about IRAs before, so it's just an individual retirement account. It's the same story. You have a traditional and a Roth amount, but these ones are subject to income requirements. Once you make so much money, you can't contribute to Roth anymore. Um, but but the standard rule of thumb is you can put 5500 a year in these IRA accounts. And good news, you can get some tax benefits for these if you're making contributions with post-tax dollars and then you put it into a traditional IRA and you can still contribute for 2017 to save yourself some money on your taxes before you file them. Yeah, until April, right? Until April, yeah. You can backdate them. And I would probably say, you know, for a lot of places, um, different brokers have different rules. So you might have to get your contributions in by like March 31st for them to get the statements and everything that you would need. Processed. Mm-hmm. So where do I go to sign up for that? I, I got an IRA through my bank, I think, when I or my credit union when I was 
16 or something I started contributing to one, something like that. Yeah, so I wouldn't recommend that because your interest rate was probably like 0.002%. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I typically recommend, especially if you're younger and still saving for retirement, that you get a, you know, mutual fund type. So So I would go to Vanguard or Fidelity, or American Funds, or, you know, if you're lost on all of this stuff, Vanguard is probably the number one choice. Um, Their expense ratios are so low. But, you know, I started with American Funds because I didn't really, you know, I was 19, I think, when I started my IRA, and I didn't really know much about anything at that point. I didn't know much about which funds I should be in, what my balance should look like. So I worked with a financial planner um, and their fees are a little bit higher. But if you, you know, don't really know what you're doing, you get the advice, which I think can be very, very valuable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you also have, so if you do Vanguard and you self-manage, which, you know, people with a personality type like myself can do that. But there's a lot of people out there who they might panic when the market goes down or maybe they were saving this money for retirement, but then, you know, the Tesla three came out and they just had to get on that waiting list. Um, And if that's your personality type, it's better to be in a fund, you know, go through a financial planner and have somebody who can kind of be your conscious and be like, no, no, you're not taking this money out. Right. Right. Um, So there, you know, there's a lot of different places you can get them and, I, I just recommend people shop around and find the right answer for them. Um, typically, you know, credit unions probably aren't going to, you know, certain banks now are partnering with different investment companies to be able to offer mutual funds at a bank. I don't, I haven't heard of credit unions doing that as much. So I think they're typically going to put you in a CD, which if you're young, that's, you're not even going to keep up with inflation. So I don't recommend that route. Um, But, you know, good on you for starting at a young age. And so if anybody's starting and starting to save this money, you can, the great news is you can always roll them over. So if you have an old one that you kind of forgot about that's sitting somewhere else, you can, you know, get on Vanguard's website and fill out a form and roll it into their funds, which is great. Yep. So once it's in the IRA family or umbrella, Right, then it's, it's, I mean, it's your money no matter where you take it, right? Exactly. So you can take it wherever you want. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so I started it with a credit union. I'm sure they were using some kind of provider. I don't even know what it was, right, at the time. And then when I started working with my company and started working with a financial planner, then I rolled that into, which I now have, like, an American funds. So I have my 401k accounts in American funds. I have my IRA account under American funds. It's all on the same screen there. I mean, it operates basically the same way. Um, they're just broken into two different... Uh, I guess, technical uh, breakdowns. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So, yeah, you know, that that was a very good point that you made. It is your money. um, But the the catch there is to leave it in the IRA vehicle. Yeah, you move the whole vehicle. Yeah, don't take take it out of that account and put it in a savings account, right? With IRAs, you know, they grow... the, The beauty of them is, let's say you get a traditional IRA... The money goes in tax-free, and then it grows tax-free. So you're, year after year, you're just like compounding this money at a crazy rate because you don't have to worry about taxes on it until you decide to take it out. And then when you take it out, you just want to make sure, you know, once you get closer to retirement age, you want to have a strategy for withdrawing your money to make sure you're minimizing taxes, right? 
Um, but for now, leave it in that vehicle. It's a great vehicle. Um, it's one of the few things the government has done a really good job with. <laughs> um, all right. So the last one on my list for annual contributions is an HSA. Um, so this one you can't, as far as I know, you can't really do any extra contributions for 2017 now that we're into 2018, but they did up the limit. So for individuals, you can put in $3,450 and for families, you can do $6,900. And this um, is a health savings account, HSA. It's tied to high deductible plans. So if you have a high deductible plan at work, it means your deductible is higher than usual. Um, usually starting high deductible plans will start at a $1,500 deductible and go all the way up to a $10,000 deductible. But it does mean you can contribute to these nifty plans. And these ones are pretty great because they have three tax benefits attached to them. The money goes in tax free. It's accrued tax free. And when you use it to pay for medical expenses, it is not taxed when you take it out. So um, these are really great tools and something I recommend a lot of young people to look into if they've never have before. Um, And it's a good time of year to, you know, a lot of insurance plans have already done their signups in the fall, but you might still be able to get in and revise your contributions to these accounts if you are like, oh wait, I want to, you know, I said I was only going to put in $10 a paycheck, but you know, I want to put in 20 bucks a paycheck, right? So it's a good time of year to just review that and make sure you have the right amount of money going in. Yeah, I definitely think my company, I mean, there's certain things they lock down and you can only change, change your benefits one time a year, but that's usually like selections for, I want to be on the high deductible plan. Correct. Not necessarily how, how I'm using that high deductible plan. That's a little more flexible. Maybe that's an email or maybe that's just a form on a website that's a, some pre-built portal or something that I have access to. Exactly. And you know, another cool thing about these HSAs is there are HSAs and FSAs. And I think a lot of people get them confused. Um, An FSA is an account that you can put money into and you have to use it that year for medical expenses. But anybody can use them. You don't have to be on a high deductible plan. But HSAs are accounts where you put the money in and if you don't use it at the end of the year, it does not disappear. It is your money. It's your money forever. And you can you know, when I say HSA, it's not actually through an investment company. These are at banks. So, you know, mine is at a local bank and the money's there. And if I wasn't happy with the bank anymore, I can roll it into a different bank and keep it in that HSA vehicle. Um, and, and the beauty is there's, you can only contribute so much a year, but there's no cap yet. I mean, maybe they'll add one in the future, but I mean, so you could put in, you know, $3,000 a year for, 20 years and have $60,000 in this account, and then you don't really have to worry about medical expenses, right? So this is something else that's also a really good tool when you think of retirement planning, um, because obviously health insurance costs are really high in America. But if you can save while you're working, and then all of a sudden you retire, you can actually use these accounts to pay for premiums. So if you need to get on a plan that's costing you $1,000 a month, but you saved $60,000 while you were working, then, you know, you have five years of premium saved up in this account to help you bridge the gap until you get on Medicare. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, I think that's most of what I wanted to cover for um, an annual review. So to kind of summarize it up, just go ahead and review your spending, review your, ta- you know, start getting your tax documents in order so you can 
do your taxes. Oh, I actually did want to talk about doing your own taxes a little bit. Um, so are you comfortable doing your own taxes, Brad, or have you always kind of passed that off or um, I, I've that? done both. Uh, I mean, I, I've been trained to do business taxes as well as personal taxes. I mean, it's all, you know, forms that have line items and they jump from line items and the instructions are usually annoying, but very, you know, very easy to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the processes are never that hard. The people that do them themselves, you know, are always like, yep, super easy. Anybody can do it. Um, that is pretty much true. Um, but a lot of people just don't want to even worry about it, right? They don't want to look at it. They don't want to look at the forms. They don't want to try and figure it out. They want to, don't want to pull the documents out. They just want to hand somebody maybe a box of stuff and then say, go nuts and, you know, pay, tell me whatever it's going to cost to do it. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I think we switched to using TurboTax for the last couple years um, instead of doing filing manually. And that is super, super easy to use. Um, it's, it's stupid how easy that is to use. I mean, it's... Uh, they cover everything, they cover all the bases, they cover all potential scenarios. I mean, just they just walk you through the process and just ask you questions. And like, did you do this this year? Did you maybe do this this year? Did you get married? And if so, then here's all these things. And then at the end of the day, boom, it's done. Here's your number. Um, probably most people um, would overcomplicate taxes as well because they think, it, you know, they have all these things. And, you know, if you donate anything this year, you've got this receipt and, uh, you know, they're going to give you something back in your taxes for that. And, you know, your mortgage is going to be in there and you have to deduct that. And maybe so there's some other deductions if you have kids or something like that. But then most people at the end of the day still end up filing um, standard deductions regardless, which is just one checkbox. Right. Says, I didn't make enough money in deductions to qualify for like itemizing all of my deductions. So boom, checkbox, it's yeah. done that's the whole forum um that was all my taxes and that's most people and if most people are so afraid to do that then they should really take a look at and, and see how they qualify or see how somebody else did it to say did you just file standard then why did i just pay you 150 bucks so. yeah and you know i want to <laughs> remind people even if you don't file standard like brett said it is that easy on TurboTax. they're like did you buy a house get your form out and look at this line item and enter that amount into this box and boom, you're done, right? Like it's not, even if you don't file standard, it is not that hard to use TurboTax. And for, you know, TurboTax is always running specials. And if you make under a certain amount of money, it's free. If you file standard deduction, I think there's a time period in which you can hop in and do it for free. Um, otherwise, they have some very low-cost products as well. Like, you can do your federal and state for $39.99 or something like that. Um, I haven't checked into the pricing this year, so this is all based off last year. You know, they might have increased their prices. But I would say a lot of people, you know, even for us with real estate, which adds a whole section of paperwork that we get to, you know, fill out because we are landlords, we walk away paying... I think it's still. Un I think it was seventy nine ninety nine last year to file our taxes with TurboTax. Right, filing and everything. Yep. Right, and to you know have our small business on there even. So, yep. you know, to me, to file two people's taxes with a business and that included state for both of us and city for myself, like that's not. We would have been charged way more than that going to any CPA around town. Um, so, you know, I encourage people to look into it because it's really not that hard. And actually, this is a great time to mention that the tax bill that Trump signed on December 22nd, which I know that date ingrained in my mind because it made work harder for me, but it was, it, that will actually 
increase the standard deduction. So even right now, if you're, you know, maybe with your mortgage interest and, you know, your donations, because you're just so charitable, uh, you eke over that standard deduction amount of, I believe it's in the neighborhood of six to 7,000 for individuals. Um, but I'm pretty sure everyone is getting doubled. So all of a sudden, a lot more people are going to fall into the standard deduction bucket. And that's actually good news because it makes your return very, very, very easy to do. Yep. So, if, I mean, you can you can look at all the numbers, but if you're not even close to it anyway, then boom, you're just going to check the standard deduction box that says skip to the end, and you're done. Right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's like those tests that you took when you were a kid where it was like, read all the instructions first, and the last <laughs> one said, like, just write your name on it and take a nap on your desk and you get an A or whatever. And then you'd have the kids who didn't read, and they were like, oh, my God, this is so hard, and they're trying to figure out all these, like, terrible questions. Yep. Yep, so. that's exactly what this, that's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, the whole tax process in a nutshell, exactly. Yeah, so don't be fooled, taxes really aren't that terrible, um, so, you know, take a stab at it, and, you know, maybe you just, you, you know, you could fill everything out on TurboTax and not click submit this year, and pay to get it done elsewhere and see if your numbers match, right? And if they do, then great, you could have done your own taxes, you know? Yeah, and I know some people are scared of, like, being audited or whatever, right, and making sure that they didn't do it right and whatever. I mean, don't don't be so afraid of that. And, and even if you use a system like TurboTax rather than, like, a CPA firm, uh, those services also offer, like, audit protection as well if you want to do that. I mean, it's a little bit more money to, like, just get covered by that. Uh, but in the event that you get it audited, audited they're, they're on the hook for handling everything. They provide you with a consultant to do anything that you need to do. I mean, they take care of it all. So Exactly. All right, so now I will recap everything. So, um, you know, start getting your tax documents in order. Even if you're going to pass it off to somebody else, you still need them all in that box. Go ahead and review your spending for the year. This will help you set goals for next year. If you have any big expenses on the horizon, maybe your roof started leaking, um, start planning ahead. It helps tremendously and it'll help you stay out of debt to plan for expenses you know, ahead of time. And then go ahead and rebalance your 401k and make sure that your contribution levels are where you want them to be across, you know, all the different tools of 401ks, IRAs, and HSAs. So I think that covers, you know, most of what you should be looking at this time of year. If I forgot anything or you're like, hey, what about this, you know, other investment I'm using, go ahead and drop me an email or let me know and I will um, put my contact information in so you can reach out to me. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.